0: Good morning. That was still pretty weak, (laughs) but I'm so glad to see you, and I hope that uh, as a result of being here and worshiping God together that you will uh, be energized, uh, uh, reinvigorated, uh, just uh, happy to to enjoy this beautiful day and, and enjoy the blessings that God has given us. As Ricky prayed, uh, we do enjoy so much peace and prosperity, and we need to thank God every day for that. But we also have to acknowledge that we live in very uncertain days. As uh, we quoted uh, last week, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. And I'm not trying to have a pessimistic attitude at all, but I'm acknowledging with you the reality that we do live in an uncertain world. And what we're exploring is how can we live confidently despite the fact that we live in an uncertain world. Uh, Last week we focused on being Christ-centered, Colossians 3, and how that makes a difference, a world of difference in living confidently in an uncertain world. But this morning I want to suggest to us that To live confidently in an uncertain world, we need to stay compassionate. Stay compassionate. The tendency when things are going difficult for us is to to turn inward, to become self-absorbed. But God's call to us is no matter what we're going through, no matter how difficult life may get, uncertain as it is, that we stay compassionate that we keep our eyes open for opportunities to serve God by serving others. In 2008, you'll, many of you will recall painfully that uh, it was a very difficult time in our economy. Um, global stock markets declined by seven trillion dollars and many of us felt those effects. I was interested to learn that Time Magazine asked Philip Yancey, a a Christian author, this question, how should Christians pray during this time? How should they pray? And Philip Yancey's uh, answer was threefold. He said, first, uh, first we should simply cry help. (laughs) I love that. Just cry help, asking God for his help because of difficult times that we're going through. He also said that he had stopped editing his prayers for sophistication and the ring of maturity because God wants us to be ourselves. Folks, when we're going through a difficult time or uncertainty, it's appropriate ask cry out to God for, for help. He said a second stage is this, that we draw near to God and learn from Him during those times. We draw near to Him and learn from Him. And one question May be, God, what do you want me to learn from this time in my life? What do you want me to learn? Draw near and learn from Him. And the third stage, Yancey told Time Magazine, was to ask God for help and taking our eyes off of our own problems and look with compassion on the truly desperate. And I love that inclusion in Philip Yancey's response. Again, to not draw within as the tendency is when times are difficult, but to keep our eyes open and look out for those who may be even experiencing a more difficult time time than we. And the word for that is, is compassion. It's compassion. So, how do you live confidently in uncertain times? Stay compassionate. Stay compassionate. I want to go to a very familiar text to all of us and re-examine what I believe is uh, one of the greatest answers from Scripture about what it means to to be compassionate. And it's the well-known story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I want to revisit that text with you and, and focus on what we learned about compassion from Jesus' interaction and this story that he told. And the first thing we see is, number one, compassion is not academic. It's not academic. Notice the occasion when Jesus told this story. Verse uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, beginning. Behold, a certain lawyer or an expert in the law of Moses stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Notice the motivation here. An expert in the law of Moses, he's wanting to test Jesus. The the expert in the law is looking for a correct answer. And he's focusing on the academic side of of this question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? The master teacher turns it back on him. What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so this expert in the law answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As far as answers, that was spot on. In fact, Jesus says as much. You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But watch this. The expert in the law is looking for the correct answer. He's testing Jesus. Again, he's thinking intellectually, academically, if you will. But Jesus is already saying to him, you have given the right answer, but that's not enough. You've got to do it. You can't leave it in the realm of just knowing the right answers to these great questions. It's got to, it's got to be evident in the way that you live. Do this and you will live. Well, the expert in the law has been commended for his answer and so he wants to continue to look good and those who may be listening in on this conversation and so he poses another question. He, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And intellectually speaking, the expert in the law believed that he already knew the answer that the answer to that question for the Jew was, it's your fellow Jew. But Jesus knows that about him and knows that's what's going on in his intellectual mind. And so he's going to broaden this man's understanding of what that means to really love your neighbor. And so he tells this familiar story. And as he does so, we learn something else, that compassion is not abstract. It's not abstract. I looked up the word abstract in Merriam-Webster's dictionary and there are several meanings, nuances that I wanted to highlight as it pertains to Jesus' answer here. The first one I saw was this, that abstract means being disassociated from any specific instance. Disassociated from any specific instance. So it's, it's more of a general Idea That's abstract. But as Jesus tells a story, he's going to inform him and us that compassion has to do with specific instances and opportunities, not just generally speaking. Second definition, abstract means difficult to understand, abstruse, difficult to understand. This story is so powerful because it's not difficult to understand. It may be difficult for this expert in the law to apply, and it may be difficult for us at times to, to manifest compassion, but it's not difficult to, to define at all or understand. Number three, a third definition. Abstract means dealing with a subject in its asp- abstract aspects. In other words, it's theoretical. And I believe that's where the expert in the law is, is coming from, theoretically, intellectually, academically. What, is the, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And, and who is my neighbor? And again, he believed he had already given two correct answers. He believed he knew the answer to the third question. But he was dealing in the theoretical. But Jesus is going to drive home this point to him and to us. Compassion has nothing to do with theory. It has to do with practicality. Is is something that you act upon. And number four, a fourth definition of abstract being impersonal or detached. I was interesting that the example that Merriam-Webster gives the abstract compassion of a surgeon. Uh, that may speak to how a surgeon may have compassion on his patient, but it's not so much in a personal way. He's just trying to do good for whoever his patient may be. But it's rather impersonal. It's a little bit detached. Jesus, however, says compassion doesn't work that way. It's not abstract. It's not impersonal. It's not detached. In fact, it's, it's literally hands-on, isn't it? As we'll see in his story. So how does this story go? Verse 30. Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho... And fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And as was the case in Jesus' parables, his stories that he would tell, they were true to life. There was literally a road from Jerusalem down, down an elevation to Jericho. And it's interesting to see See pictures of that area and see the terrain very dry and mountainous. And, and it descends several hundred feet from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And even in that day, it was known for being a place where, where thieves, where robbers would hide out and, and uh, an attack passersby. And so as Jesus is telling the story, this would be something that had happened and could happen again. But a certain man, he leaves it vague in that sense, in that who that person is really doesn't matter except that he was attacked, he was beaten, robbed, left for dead. It's not in the abstract. He's getting the the expert in the law, and he's getting us to put ourselves in this story, and suppose we see this person on the side of the road, left for dead. How would we respond? And he's causing him to think not abstractly, not get it out of the academic realm and put it into the practical. What would you do? Jesus is asking that expert and he's asking us. So he's telling us, he's teaching us. Compassion is not something that we do in general. It's something that we do specifically. Thirdly, We see from Jesus' story that compassion is not afraid. Compassion is not afraid. I like to call him the passing priest. You notice what he does? This priest, this religious leader. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Hence, the passing priest. And the expert in the law the one who loved the law of Moses, when he thought of a priest, he would think of a religious leader. And what did this religious leader, who who you would presume would be close to God, what did he do in this circumstance? He saw this man, and he passed by on the other side. By the way, perhaps at a distance, this priest couldn't tell if this man were alive or dead. And perhaps he thought, if this man is dead then for, for me to touch his body, I would be unclean, ceremonial, ceremonially unclean for seven days. So perhaps he was thinking, if he was even thinking along these lines or not, if I touch him, I'm going to become unclean, so I'm just going to keep on going. I don't want to make that risk. I'm afraid of, of becoming unclean, or maybe he's afraid simply of becoming involved in this matter. He's, he's an important religious man. He's got things to do, so he doesn't take the time, so he passes by on the other side. What's the message we're to get? Compassion, folks, is not afraid. It's not afraid to engage, to, to help when the need arises. Number four, compassion Jesus is teaching us is not analytical, is not analytical. It's easy to become paralyzed when we overanalyze. You've heard the statement, I'm sure, about the condition of the paralysis of analysis. And sometimes we analyze situations to the point where nothing gets accomplished. And that can happen even when we encounter someone who is in need. And that's exactly what Jesus is addressing. Here's someone beaten, robbed, left for dead. He needs help. What are you going to do? The the priest Passed by. The Levite, Jesus includes this language. He looked. We call him the looking Levite. He looked and then passed by on the other side. Perhaps he got a closer look than the priest. Perhaps he could tell some of what this man would need. But still would, was not caring enough, compassionate enough to get involved. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the scene... Place uh, came and looked and passed by on the other side. As we continue learning about compassion from Jesus' story, we see that compassion is about what you see. It's about what you see. Now the priest and the Levite both saw this man in his condition. So they had that vision in their eyes of, of the need. But there are three people that came by in Jesus' story and only one of the three really saw this man and his need and cared or had compassion. But folks, compassion is about what we see. Because so many times we try not to see we try not to see. We come upon a situation and we sense there is a need and so we, we keep looking straight ahead. We try not to see. Well, if I don't really look at it, if I don't really assess the need, then I, then I really won't have to act upon this. Perhaps that's the thinking of the priest and the Levite. But the Samaritan was not so. A certain Samaritan, verse 33, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, when he saw him, he had compassion. What was the difference in what he saw and what the priest and the Levite saw? Nothing, except that his vision was accompanied by compassion. And so he went to help. I wrote about this in the Living Water for this week. But that's a neat word, this word that's translated compassion in this text and 12 other times. And I wanted you to note this, and you can read about it in Living Water later. It's used 12 times in the gospel accounts. Nine of the times it's used of Jesus himself. And the three other times it's used in in parables that Jesus tells. One here and two other times where within the parable he's describing God. So I want you to think about that. The only times this word is used in the Bible is in about God, about Jesus, or in the teaching that Jesus gives That should elevate that word, but also that should elevate that quality of life. And we should desire to emulate it even, even more. So compassion is about what you see, but not just that. We also see that compassion is about what you do. It's about what you do. Notice with me again what the Samaritan does. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. I think it's helped for us to, to remember to whom Jesus is giving this story initially to, to this expert in the law, this Jew. And if there was any one that would cause him to have, think evil thoughts, it would be about a Samaritan. Jews hated Samaritans. And the feeling was, was mutual. There was a long history there. But Jesus intentionally uses this one that would be the least expected, perhaps, or the least intolerable to make this point with this expert in the law. And it's this, this Samaritan, this hated Samaritan by the Jews that has compassion, goes to him, ministers to his wounds, puts him on his own animal, is willing to risk this, this, the looks of, of the enemies of Jews and Samaritans that wouldn't believe that here was a Samaritan helping a Jew. And, and went to extreme expense in order to, to care for this man who needed it and even was willing to spend more. But it was something that he did. It wasn't just something that he felt, something that he saw, but it's something that he did. Compassion is about what you do. And finally, compassion is about how you do it. Compassion is about how you do it. I love the ending of this parable, don't you? Jesus turns to this expert in the law and poses another question. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? You remember the question, the original question? The expert was saying, wanted to justify himself, wanted to look good in the eyes of the other people. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus is telling this story. To give an answer to that. And so he t- tells a story, he turns it to the expert. Which of those three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, proved to be neighbor to the one who fell among thieves? And I believe this next statement shows the prejudice, the bias that this expert had regarding the Samaritans. He can't even bring himself. To say the word. And so he answers correctly. He who showed mercy on him. He who showed mercy on him. Mercy. That's the quality that accompanies compassion. They go hand in hand. That's how we administer compassion. With mercy. Jesus answers, go and do likewise. He's saying to that expert in the law, you've given the right answers intellectually. Now go live it out. Go practice what you preach. Love God with all of your being, but love your neighbor as yourself. And who is your neighbor? From Jesus instruction from his story we learn that our neighbor is anyone who is in need that I may be in a position to help. That's my neighbor. There's no uh, distinguishing characteristics of, of race or religion or socioeconomic status. None of those things. It doesn't matter if you know them or don't know them. My neighbor, Jesus is saying, Is anyone who is in need that I may be in a position to help? How do we live confidently in uncertain times? This may go against our nature. Because as I stated earlier, when times are hard, we tend to turn inward. But Jesus' call to us is to keep our eyes focused outward. Look Not only to your own things, but also to the things of others, Philippians 2. Think about this. Many times we wonder, when we're going through difficult times, why is God allowing this? Why is God allowing this? And I wonder if part of the answer is this, that perhaps God allows us to go through difficulties to humble us, and in our humility, we're able to think of others as well. It goes along with the theme that we've been pursuing all year long, less of me in 23. Compassion demands that I be less concerned about me and more concerned about about others. Shannon Etheridge remembered a terrible day from her 11th grade year in high school. Attempting to apply lipstick while driving down a bumpy country road, she struck a bicyclist, and the bicyclist was killed. What stunned her even more was when the victim's husband said upon being told that he had lost his wife. He asked, How is the girl that was driving the car? Is she okay? It was inconceivable to Etheridge that anyone could take such a devastating blow and and have immediate concern for the author of the tragedy. The night before the funeral, she forced herself to visit the bereaved husband. As I entered the house, she wrote, I looked down the entry corridor to see a big, burly, middle-aged man coming toward me, not with animosity in his eyes, but with his arms open wide. The man was a Wycliffe Bible translator named Gary Jarstfer. He gave her a large, compassionate embrace, and she dissolved into tears. Over and over, she wept with the words, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Jarstfer gently spoke to Etheridge about the life and legacy of his beloved wife. He added this to her. God wants to strengthen you through this. He wants to use you. As a matter of fact, I am passing Marjorie's legacy of being a godly woman on to you. I want you to love Jesus without limits, just like Marjorie did. Gary Jarstfer insisted that all charges against this distraught 11th grader be dropped. And he began to look out for her and encourage her in the development of her life. Etheridge would write this, Gary's merciful actions along with his challenging words to me that night before Marjorie's funeral, would be my source of strength and comfort for years to come. What do you call that? You call it compassion. I found this statement, compassion is to look beyond your own pain to see the pain of others. I want to ask you to go to envision the one who's telling the parable to this expert in the law, Jesus himself. Isn't he the one who embodied compassion? He saw our need, our greatest need, salvation from sin. And he came to us to save us. He came to this world, was hung on a cross between two thieves, and with both hands stretched out, it's like he's saying, Come to me and know my compassion. And our response should be to embrace that loving compassion, that grace that he died for us to have, but then for the rest of our lives, show our gratitude, By extending that compassion to anyone and everyone that we possibly can. One writer said this, What God wants from us in the midst of crisis is compassion. Broken heart compassion that sees the hurts of those around us as an invitation to express God's love in meaningful acts of kindness. May that be our homework. May that be our quest. To know the compassion of Jesus in our own lives. And allow it to flow through us to the lives of other people. If this morning you're ready to receive that compassionate love, that grace that Jesus died that you can, so that you can have. If you need to respond to him, confessing your faith in him, having turned from sin in repentance, and ready to be baptized into Christ, we'd love to assist you with that. We would love to rejoice with you as when you submit to obeying the gospel of Jesus, that his blood washes away your sins. You can know that compassion, that mercy, that grace, even this morning. Perhaps in our lives... We've tended to turn inward, and we need to repent of that. And may we keep our eyes focused outward, looking for the opportunities that are always there and ready to seize them, to give evidence of the compassion that God has given to us. If you need the prayers of the church, something weighing in your life, if you need to come back home... As one who has wandered away, uh, we invite you to come right now as we stand and sing.